Well, find Deuteronomy chapter 6 if you have a Bible with you this morning, whatever you choose to use, device, paper, Bible, whatever it is. Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We are in part three of a series that we have entitled, How It's Done. And the purpose of this series is to spend a little time as a church looking at the early church, the one that we see in the book of Acts, the, the church in Jerusalem and in Samaria and Galilee. There's several churches represented in the book of Acts. But we have been spending most of our time in the church of Jerusalem and the church in Ephesus. And so this series has a purpose that we, we truly do want to look to the early church and how God set it up and do our best as the church in today's culture to imitate and mimic a lot of the characteristics that we see in this church. So this series is not a series about, about uh, culture necessarily. It's, it's not a series about, you know, being a church in 2022 versus being a church in 1972. It is a series about the core elements of the church and what the church is called to be about, what the church is commanded to be doing, and what will truly set us up to be a successful church in this culture. And so we're trying really hard as we have these conversations. I'm communicating to you, many of you are communicating with each other inside of your small groups throughout the week. This is really not intended to be a series that is it's intended to build up our church to be focused on what God is going to use to actually build our church. And so that's the purpose of the series. That's what we see in Acts 9. And I'm just going to put it on the screen, but Acts 9.31, we've read this. This is the theme verse for this entire series. Verse 31 of Acts chapter 9 says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so we have right here in verse 31 of chapter 9 a framework for how God does his work inside of us as we live together as the body of Christ in this world. And so that verse, as you see there in the first part, it says these churches in Samaria and in Jerusalem and in Galilee, they they had peace. And so we talked in week one, this issue of peace and, and the struggle of unrest. And we all know what it's like to experience unrest. Maybe this is your first week here, maybe your second week, and you've not been tracking along with us as we've been through this series. Every church struggles at times with peace. And there are several different enemies of peace, and we like to think of them as the things that we disagree about inside the church. Maybe it's a preference. I don't know. But that is actually not what the Bible talks about as, as something that disrupts peace in the church. Now, there are a lot of things that we could have put on that list in week one, but we highlighted three. The first one was false teaching. The second one was gossip. And the third one was idol worship. And so if you'd like to know more about those, listen to that sermon and, and you'll hear a little bit more about what those are. But the question that we asked was, how do we pursue peace? And that question is, is difficult to answer, but we have to, as Paul tells us, we have to make every effort to be at peace with each other. And peace is the fruit of love 
and service. So we are to love one another as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And then we are to serve one another in humility through the channel of love. And so we ask the question of do your actions pursue peace or do they prevent peace? And we have to wrestle with those, with the answer to that question. Do my actions prevent peace or am I pursuing peace? Because peace or the lack of it will influence so many things in our day-to-day lives, whether it's in your family or in your marriage or at your workplace, no matter where it is. But peace and unrest influence and make an impact in the life of a church. Last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, the church in Ephesus, and we asked the question of how is the church built up? Because our text here in Acts 9 clearly says they had peace and were being built up. So how was and how is the church built up? We, we looked at the issue of gifts, that after we are saved, we are all given gifts. And we didn't talk specifically about talents, because talents and gifts are not actually the same thing. There is a difference. Not all talents can be used inside the church building on a Sunday morning. Maybe you are a mechanic and you like to work on cars that we don't have a shop in here. So we, we can't utilize that gift on a Sunday morning. I joked last week that if you like to ribbon dance, it's not gonna work here at West Hill on a Sunday morning. And so maybe you love to play the banjo. We're not, we're not bluegrass. And so maybe that's not gonna be something that you can utilize here. But finding our gifts versus our talents are two different things. But there is a connection to our passions that is needed. And so, so Paul lays out in Ephesians 4 what it looks like to be built up as the church. We are truly built to serve. My role as a pastor is to, is to build up the body of Christ, to equip the saints, to teach the word of God, to proclaim the gospel, to give you things that you can do on a daily basis in your life. That's the purpose, one of the core purposes of this gathering here this morning is for me to equip you with truth, for you to learn and it builds us up. And then we found last week that we are strengthened by the truth of God's word. That when we grow in Christ's likeness, when we grow in knowledge, when we grow in our understanding of correct doctrine, we grow up in him. We become mature. We follow his example. And then we see that we should serve in love. That was the third part of last week's message. So my job is to equip the saints And that's not the only thing that it says. It says that my job is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. We love to emphasize the equipping of the saints in the church world, especially when we're debating all of the things that are going on in our culture. Especially when we're having conversations about all the things that we disagree about we tend to get off track, that this gathering is just for us to, to study certain aspects of our faith, and that's all that this gathering is for, and that that is the most important thing. That's not what Paul says. Paul says that pastors and teachers are to equip the saints to learn and do. There is a doing attached to this equipping. You must do if you are a mature Christian. Now, I see 
And, and then we are, we are, when we serve in love, the church is built up. That's when it works properly. Now, I see this happening all over the place in this faith community. We have people who are learning and they're doing. Maybe you're on the other side of the, the question there. Maybe you are not doing with all of the learning that you've been doing. And so maybe you need to get active and use your gifts inside of this body to build it up and then do that in love. And when we do that, things grow. So that's where we've been so far. I didn't mean to take nine minutes to do that, but I did. So if you have been forgetting what we're talking about, every week you'll find out. But we got to be careful to keep pursuing Jesus. So this week we're going to actually switch gears just a little bit, and we're going to talk about this issue of fear. So what comes to mind when you hear the word fear this morning? What images come up in your mind? What what are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of getting sick. I know so many people right now in our current culture are so afraid of getting sick. Maybe it's, it's not being able to retire. It's, it's a financial issue that you know, wait, I started saving for retirement way too late and I'm scared of that day. I don't know what that day is gonna hold. Or maybe it's, it's fear of losing a loved one or maybe it's, it's a common phobia, things like being scared of heights. Or maybe you're deathly afraid of spiders. For me, it's a wasp. I hate wasps. I'm not afraid of heights. I'm not afraid of spiders. I'm not afraid of the dark. I'm not afraid of meeting someone in the dark. But you, I meet a wasp, and it, I will run from here to Cleveland from a wasp. Now, I have a story attached to that, but I won't bore you with that this morning. But wasps, I'm deathly afraid of. Maybe you've got your thing. But there are synonyms for fear. Things like dread, fright, alarm, panic, terror, trepidation. It just means a painful agitation in the presence or anticipation of danger. Fear in the most general term is, it implies anxiety and usually a loss of courage. That's what fear is kind of bottled up as. But as Pastor Michael mentioned earlier, the type of fear that we're going to talk about this morning is, is different. It's, it's not a bad kind of fear. It's, it's a better kind of fear. It's actually a, a good fear. It's a good for you kind of fear. The fear that we're going to talk about this morning has a different meaning and it's something that we want, that I think we as the church should want to have present in our lives. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? It's not a, it's not a really simple answer, but we're going to boil it down in its most simplest terms this morning. So if you know your Bible, that there's, there's the Old Testament kind of definition and illustrations of fear. And then they shift a little bit as we get to the New Testament, but they're still embodied by the same kind of focus point. So I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to bounce around just a little bit, so follow along. But Deuteronomy verses 1 through 2, it says, now this is the commandment, the statutes, which could be uh, maybe translated as ordinances in your Bibles, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, this is Moses speaking, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. 
that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Now skip ahead to chapter 10 real quick. Just a few pages to your right, chapter 10, verse 12, and then we're going to skip down to verse 20. So read verse 12 of Deuteronomy 10. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? Those are important words. What does the Lord your God require of you? Now, culture has changed. Yes, we are not the nation of Israel walking in this stage of life, but we are God's people. And God is still the one who gives us commands. So he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Skip to verse 20. And you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Now, if we're supposed to, to fear the Lord, we need to know, and we need to, we need to know him, and we need to know things about him. Now, there are several things that we need to believe, and we need to know about God. One is, he is the uncreated one. Now, that is hard for our human brains to understand. We live in a culture where we believe we're smarter than, than God sometimes, but God is the uncreated one. He has always existed. That's what the scriptures teach us. We believe that, that he has always existed. He created all things. The Bible says that he spoke all things into existence. So he is a creator. He is the uncreated one. He holds all things together. He sustains all things. This world is still spinning because God is sustaining it. We are still standing here breathing air because God is giving us breath to breathe. God is the Almighty One. And so we have to remember that as we study these things. But the first thing that we see often as we study the issue of fearing the Lord is His spotless character. In Psalm chapter 18, verse 30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. But what is his character? I mean, if you open up Genesis and you read all the way through to Revelation, what are some of the elements that you see that embody the character of God? Well, we, we'll just list a few this morning. We know that God is patient. He, the Old Testament uses language, the Psalms use language of he is long-suffering. That God is extremely patient with us. Now, we all know what that's like because we make mistakes. We're idiots. We make, we're just, we're just dumb people so often. And he's so patient with us. He is so patient with me. And if you were to look at the nation of Israel and you watch them as they, as they watch God deliver them from the nation of Egypt and all the things that he did as they wandered for 40 years, they still bellyached. And his, his patience remained steadfast. He was a patient God. Now, there's more elements to that. We'll get to that in a moment. But we also see that God is, is faithful. 
that when we are unfaithful, he is faithful. He is consistent. He is always the same. He does not change like the winds shift. He is, he is a, a rock that is immovable. He is faithful. Man, those are two of the characteristics of our God. And we could stop right there and just fall on our face in worship. Because he's so good. So he's good. He's, he's kind. But he's also just. He, he doesn't love our sin. He loves us, but he hates our sin. We'll talk about that as well. He's loving and he's gracious. That's the character of our God. And it's spotless. That even our best attempts at being good, gracious, kind, and faithful are flawed. But his character is flawless. I want to read that verse again in Psalm 18. It says, As for God, his way is perfect. That, that word in Hebrew technically means in just general man's term, like his way is the best. There is no better way. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. So are you taking refuge in the God who has spotless character today? The second thing we see this morning is he is holy. In Leviticus chapter 11, it says this, For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. So do not defile yourselves with any of these small animals that scurry along the ground. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy because I am holy. This God, as we know, is completely set apart from all unholiness. That he is set apart from this world. That even, even the best person that you know, whether that's Mother Teresa or some other character in this culture that we admire, that we look up to, that, that has done really good things, that, that it's really hard to dig up any baggage on, like Billy Graham, like you Google that guy's name, it's really hard to find anything negative about Billy Graham. But he was not as holy as the God that we follow. I believe his example was holiness, but God is completely set apart. God is completely pure. Psalm 33 says, let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he speaks, the world begins and it appeared in his commands. So what do we do? So those are some of the characteristics of the God that we serve and some of the things that we see in this God that we follow. But what do we do as the church in 2022? Well, as we see here in Acts 9, this church here in Jerusalem and in Galilee and in Samaria, they walked in the fear of the Lord. And so we should do the same. It hasn't changed. We should still walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, this was more than just an awareness. This is more than just a simple belief. This was action. This was submission to the God of the universe. To fear the Lord means that we need to walk in his ways and we need to obey. We specifically need to obey his commands. Ecclesiastes 12 says, this is the whole story. Here now is the final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. 
everyone's duty today is to fear God and obey his commands. Psalm 112 says, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. So what are God's commands? Well, this could be a sermon series all on its own. If you Google this, you'll find a really long list of things. And so uh, let's just talk about a couple of them. Uh, one command that God gives us is to repent. We are to repent of our sin for salvation. And then we as Christians are to repent of our sins. A good practice is every day. Reflect back on the decisions that you made, the conversations that you had, all the things that happened throughout the day, and just repent. Ask God to forgive you for those sins. So repentance could be on this list of God's commands. We are commanded to follow. We are commanded to rejoice. We're commanded to let our light shine, to honor God's law. We're commanded not to lust. We're to keep away from idols. We're commanded to keep our word, to love our enemies, to lay up treasures in heaven, to be a servant. We're commanded to pray, and that's just the short list. And so this goes back to what we talked about a few moments ago. You have to know the God of spotless character in order to obey his commands. And we're not going to get these right because we're still sinners who are saved by grace walking in a fallen world. We still battle the flesh. But these are things that we are called to pursue and obey. And you know in your mind, you know in your head when you're disobeying one of God's commands. You know it. And so repent of it and follow his ways. That's the, that's the point that these texts are making this morning. Now those are just a few. Some are hard to do, but they're worth it. So as Paul said a few weeks ago, when we are pursuing peace inside the church, we just simply need to make every effort to obey his commands. And when you fail, press on, keep going. To fear the Lord means to walk in his ways. And to fear the Lord means that we have to avoid sin. Uh, I get tired of hearing about sin, but I think it's because I'm just so sick of sin in my own heart. I, I wrestle with it like everyone else, but God is angry with it. And that's why I feel so terrible when I talk about it and when I experience it. Colossians chapter three tells us to put to death the sinful earthly things that are lurking within us and to have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Paul tells us not to be greedy for a greedy person is, a, is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger and the wrath of God is coming. God is angry with your sin this morning. And I don't mean that to discourage you because there is hope on the other side because God is the quickest to forgive. The moment you sin, he will forgive you if you ask him to. That's, that can't be said about me sometimes. You sin against me, sometimes I'm quick to forgive. Sometimes I harbor it. And I allow it to boil inside of me. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you're harboring some bitterness this morning and you're not quick to forgive because you're angry with that sin that was committed against you. Every sin that we commit is against our holy, spotless God and he's angry with it. And so if you know Jesus and his spirit is living inside of you, that's why you feel so miserable. 
That's why you feel so much shame. Because you are going in the opposite direction of the God who saved you and who is faithful to you and who loves you, but he will always take you back. And God disciplines for our sin. In Hebrews chapter 12, it's, it's actually, this discipline is, is written as, these are encouraging words from God that he speaks to us. The writer of Hebrews says, do not take light the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. And the, the writer continues to say that we need to endure this divine discipline and remember that God is treating us as his children, that he loves us and he cares for us and he disciplines us when we sin. The last part of, of verse 11 in chapter 12 of Hebrews says it's actually painful, this discipline. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It's a beautiful reminder that God's angry with sin. Absolutely. God will discipline sin. Absolutely. And yes, it can be painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful harvest. Now, we need to remember that our sins have been paid for entirely. Jesus Christ came. He paid the price for our sin. There, are, there, is no more, there is no more eternal punishment for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That sin has been paid for, but God still chastens us. So this goes back to what I said just a moment ago. This is a push toward repentance to keep us set apart. Sin is opposed to his spotless character, and we are called to pursue his holiness. So we need to grow in sanctification. John 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So sanctification is just a really churchy word for the process of growing. It's the process of becoming holy or set apart. When you give your life to Jesus, and some of you are, are, are a little bit older in your faith, some of you are very young in your faith, we are called in the very moment that we pass from death into life, giving our lives to Jesus, to start pursuing him. Now we know Jesus was set apart from this world. He was holy. And so we are called to observe his example and imitate the heart behind what and how he lived. And so we need to grow in this sanctification. Now we never arrive, which is kind of the discouraging part. If you're a list maker like me, and you're a goal setter, you're kind of like, hey, I'm gonna reach complete sanctification by the end of 2022. <laughs> like, that's what I wanna see happen. And that's a good goal because I think that keeps you focused, but you never get there. It's a constant process of growing and knowing our Savior. Different words are associated with this process of sanctification, things like, things like action, that there has to be an action in this process of growing in sanctification. Then there's movement, that you, you, you act on knowledge, and then you move, and then you process. You just, it's, this constant, it's this constant processing and moving and acting. You put your faith in action. That's what we see in James. This should be a lifelong journey of growing. If we want to reflect Christ at our job places, in our families, in our communities, 
it will require a commitment to personal holiness. And then the last thing is this, is we need to worship with all that we have. You see, worship is really about love. It's really about love. What do you worship or who do you worship? And we could talk for a really long time this morning about this issue of of worship. Who or what gets your ultimate allegiance? What is getting your ultimate devotion? What is getting your attention? That's truly what worship is all about. We like to make it about music in our, in our culture here in the church world, but it's, it's, it's about so much more than music. And in some cases, music has become an idol. So we might appropriately pledge our allegiance to our country. We might give attention to running and prep for a marathon. We might commit our, our attention to our education, and those things are not bad, unless they get more attention, unless they get more of our focus, unless they get more of our devotion and our allegiance than God does. This is why idol worship, the topic of idol worship, is so vital. It seems so ancient, but we all have idols on our shelf. We all have idols in the shelves of our hearts, in our houses, whatever it is, idol worship is a big issue. So what or who are you worshiping? You see, what we worship with all of our hearts becomes an idol, and it becomes something that we place in front of God. It's, it's really important that we remember that. It's really important that we remember that worship is really not about style or sound, or stage or lights. It's about our heart. I know this is cheesy. It's an overused example. It may offend some of you, but it really impacts my heart when I hear pastors say this from the stage from time to time. Because I have my own unique struggle with this. So I grew up in Southern Ohio, and last night was a big night for Southern Ohio people because the Bengals won their football game. They're terrible, right, normally? But they won a football game. Now, I guarantee you that this morning in my home church in Hillsborough, Ohio, my home church pastor probably got up on the stage and said, how about those Bengals? And the crowd will erupt. But do we get that excited about this Jesus that we have living inside of our hearts who has saved us from hell and given us a life worth living? Do we get that excited? Do we get that excited, church? I mean, seriously, I have, I have struggled with this in the church world because I know not everybody is, is emotional. And, and I, I get that. And so I understand that not everyone in the room this morning are hand raisers or clappers. But as we do talk about the issue of worship, singing is an actual thing that the church is commanded to do. No matter what song we sing, 
we are told to sing because it is a verbal declaration of God's work inside of our heart. And so I hear it all the time. Well, God just doesn't, hesitate. I just, I'm not one of those people who sings. I think you should repent and sing. Open your mouth and sing. I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I'm not asking you to fall on your knees. I'm not asking you to do anything weird, but you are still called to sing. I didn't say so, God said so. Read the Psalms. He says, sing a new song unto the Lord. That word in the Hebrew actually means to sing. <laughs> so sing. We must be people who sing. Now, for me, I'm not the sports guy, so like I, I would care less about the Bengals winning last night, but you talk about a tractor, and I'm getting all kinds of excited. And so, I mean, but do I feel more, do I feel more joy when I talk about those things than when I'm talking about this God who loved me and sent his son to save me? Do I get as excited about God as I do those woodworking projects that I love to do? May God keep my heart close and my heart convicted when I get in that place. And I pray that, that I keep him as my first love and that all other things fall significantly short in comparison to him. I truly do want the heart of Paul where he says that I consider everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of just simply knowing Christ Jesus because he deserves all of me and he deserves all of you. And we should have joy when we serve him in love. His commands are not burdensome. This takes us to Matthew chapter 22. It'll be on the screen. But Jesus says this. They're always trying to trip him up, right? They're all of the commands that I just listed. They're always trying to trip him up on all these Old Testament laws. And Jesus just says, here's it simple. You need to just love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's everything. That's all of you. That's all of me. It's a heart position. It's a posture of my heart. Psalm 86 says, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart and glorify your name forever. John 4 says that God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That we worship with this spirit-infused power. That when we feel like we can't sing, we can still sing because the spirit has not left us. The truth is unchanging. And so we have those moments where we feel like there's no way that we can worship, that there's no way that we can set our gaze on the God who loves us. We can remember truth, that God's spotless character can be trusted. Psalm 22 says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Oh, I wish that was me most of the time. Fearing God produces faith. Exodus 14, verse 31, we know the Israelites have been delivered from the nation of Egypt. They are, have left town, and the nation of, of Egypt is now chasing them. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians in the Red Sea, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. Psalm 115, 11 says, all you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your 
shield. So we fear this God who is spotless character, who is 100% 100 plus pure, and we trust him because he helps us. We shouldn't be, hear what I'm saying with this, because this could be taken the wrong way. We shouldn't be afraid of God. I mean, yes, God could literally squash all of us in a second, but that's, but that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. We shouldn't fear him striking us down in anger or vengeance. We can never in any way be separated from him. Paul tells us that in Romans 8, that we can never be separated from the love of God, that he is long-suffering, right? So we sin, he forgives. We should not be afraid of him, but we should honor him, and we should respect him, and we should obey him, and we should live for him. There should be a, a reverence and a submission in our hearts toward him in worship with all of our hearts. See, to fear the Lord means to walk in his ways. And so, will we be, will we, will we be a church? Trying, I hope I wasn't having a stroke there for a second. Will we be a church that walks in the fear of the Lord? I think you should write that statement down. Will I be a man? Will I be a woman? Will I be a teenager? Will I be a young adult? Whatever you are. Will I be a person who walks in the fear of the Lord? That will be an incredible reminder to you tomorrow morning as you start out your day. Will I walk in the fear of the Lord today? Will I know him? Will I follow him? Will I obey him? Those are real questions because here's the simple truth. A church that obeys is a church that grows. A person who obeys and walks in the fear of the Lord, who walks set apart from this world, is a person who grows? Will we be a church that obeys and grows and worships? Will you be a person who does the same? I think we have to be. If we want to see God do an amazing work in this church, it's his work, we witness it, but he uses us. So are we positioned to be used? Are we walking in the fear of the Lord. If we intend to follow God's plan for his churches, we have to walk in that same fear. To fear the Lord means to walk in his ways. If you would, would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have had to gather together today. And we have gathered together today under one name, and his name is Jesus. And we sing praises to his name. We read his word. And we pray to him this morning. So God, I pray that as we are gathered here this morning, God, I am just a vessel 
that is unworthy to be here. God, I pray that you have used something this morning from your word to challenge someone's heart today. That we would be people who have given all of ourselves to you. That we would be in pursuit of you every single day. That we would know you, follow you, and obey you. God, who do you want us to be? What do you want us to do? That's what we want to do, Lord. So God, I pray that you would use us, that you would continue to use us in this world, in this community, and in the places we find ourselves every single day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.